Well, as I mentioned, today is Freedom Sunday, not only in terms of Veterans Day and celebrating the freedom of our our nation, but also months ago we purposed to partner with uh, IJM, International Justice Mission, in order to raise awareness on the plight of slavery around the world and the part that we as God's people, as the family of God, can do um, to combat that and to fight against that. And I'm going to lift up a number of facts and statistics today, and my prayer is that you don't become overwhelmed at the enormity of it, but that you allow the Spirit of God to speak to each of you individually as to what part that, that we can play in this and what um, ability we have. And so um, we're going to play a video now to open up uh, the talk today that kind of gives a more comprehensive overview of who IJM is and what they're doing and how we can be involved. And in the first service, it's, it's overwhelming and incomprehensible to think that in this day and age, slavery still exists in the world and to the extent that we're going to talk about today. And my hope and my prayer is that as I present you with facts and information that your eyes don't just glaze over and it doesn't reach a point of saturation where you just, but that you realize that all of these numbers correlate to lives, lives of people that are in miserable situations of abuse and torment and that something can be done. Um, so let me begin today with some some statistics just to kind of open our minds and our awareness to what is taking place. Globally, the United Nations says that there are about 4 billion people who live outside of the protection of the law, and that over 40 million people are held in slavery today. One in four of these are children. Globally, human human trafficking generates about $150 billion dollars a year, and two-thirds of that is from commercial sexual exploitation. Just as an example, in 2016, there were 3.8 million adults who were victims of forced sexual exploitation, and one million of these were children. Uh, It's estimated that out of that statistic, 99% of these people are women and kids. So... Uh, although men are involved, a high, a high uh, number of these are women and girls, 99%. In previous years, I think we've been doing this for about four years now, partnering with IJM and lifting up uh, awareness and talking about what we can do as the people of God. And in past years, we've focused on countries like Africa and South America. And today we want to look at Southeast Asia, in particular the Philippines, because, as I said, uh, With IJM working around the world in 17 different communities, it's easy to get just overwhelmed at the enormity of it. And so today we want to focus on a a small slice of that. The Philippines receives thousands of cyber sex trafficking case referrals a month from the U.S. alone. And more than half of these victims are under the age of 13, believe it or not. The Philippines has become a hot spot for cyber sex trafficking because Internet access is growing rapidly and because the English language is spoken um, more increasingly, and it makes it easy for predators to set up these online cafes. 
there were a few videos that they gave us that um, they did a good job trying to make them very tasteful, but I, I couldn't even play them today in the service because they're just too explicit and suggestive. I mean, they're not fit for this audience. And so I'm going to summarize a few of those stories. Carol's going to come up in a, in a few moments and share uh, some of the issues, even locally, not only in our county, but in the very city of Ventura. But one of the stories that, uh, and please understand that, you know, what I'm sharing today is just a slice of the big picture. I read numerous uh, scores of stories this week, watched tons of videos, trying to process what I felt like God would bring before us today and what was most appropriate. One of the stories I read was about a gal named Cassie who lives in the Philippines in a very poor family. And one day, a man by the name of AJ came and talked to her parents and said that he wanted to provide her the ability to go to school in Manila. And they were very excited about that and agreed. And Cassie uh, reflects upon her initial experience in Manila by saying that she remembered the very tall buildings there because she came from a rural area. And so she was kind of amazed at the enormity of the, the buildings and the city and was really impressed by the fact that the people seemed so free there. But it wasn't very long before she found out that A.J. was running a cyber sex trafficking operation out of his home and that Cassie wasn't his only victim. He preyed on the children of family, friends, and neighbors to create a fake family. Cassie says, I was, only, I was one, of only six, uh, one of six victims inside of the house. A.J. started grooming even younger children, including a five-year-old boy and even a three-month-old girl. He would rape the kids, filming the abuse, and broadcast it online. He offered live cybersex shows and collected money from customers who tuned in from the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and the Netherlands. Now, we can all say, well, that's just absolutely disgusting and sick, and I can't believe that. But as Carol's going to say, this kind of thing would not be happening if there wasn't a market for it, if there wasn't an appetite for it. As heinous as it is to believe that anybody could do that to kids and manipulate them in that way for a profit and for their own personal... I mean, think about the people that are watching that and that are paying for that, that allow this to continue. I'm going to share more about that in a few moments, but I'm going to invite Carol up to, as I said, share about what's happening locally. I just want to share with you a little bit about what is happening, happening like um, Bob said, he's sharing more about the global issue, but I'd like to talk a little bit more about what's happening in our county and even in our city. And um, just the, some of the most vulnerable victims of being trafficked are females between 12 and 14 years old, as Bob said, the average age being 13. And many of these kids are from foster homes and also runaways. And for runaways, many of these kids are approached by a pimp or a trafficker within 48 hours of being on the streets. It can also happen to kids probably like you because it does happen to all demographics and kids of all walks of life. Trafficking, like I said, is happening um, both in the county and in our city 
And we're talking about both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. It happens online, it happens in massage parlors, and it happens in hotels. And as I said last year, if you were here, that gang, and this has not changed, that gangs have moved from selling drugs on a regular basis to selling people because they can sell a girl over and over and over again. This would not be happening, as Bob said, if there was no demand. What drives boys and girls being sold is purchasers. Girls wouldn't be for sale if there were not men purchasing sex. One of the contributors of human trafficking is pornography. Recent statistics show that 46% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are struggling with viewing it. The problem of injustice is nothing new, and Scripture has highlighted it for generations. Back in the day of King Solomon, he observed in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, he said, I saw the oppression that takes place under the sun, and I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power, and their victims are helpless. I think that's the situation as many of us see it, you know. These people that perpetrate evil, that manipulate others, seem to have enormous power and opportunity. And it doesn't seem like there's power and opportunity on the side of the victims and many times for us that stand by helplessly wondering what we can do. The prophet Habakkuk um, recorded similar reflections in chapter 1 of his prophecy. He said, Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. I think that's a similar thing that we feel today, that the, those who work evil, those who are involved in evil, far outnumber those who are on the side of good, and those that have genuine motives and hearts to do good in our society. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 58. It's in the Old Testament, kind of in the middle of your Bible. After Psalms and Proverbs, it's one of the first prophecies that you'll come across. Isaiah chapter 58. And in this chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord. And, and God is really addressing his people and their complaint that he is silent, that he is not responding to them, that he is not acknowledging all the things that they are doing in order to please him. And as well as his concern over the injustices that his people are turning a blind eye to. And so this is what he says, Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud and don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. They act so pious they come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even seem to notice it. 
I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. And remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from those who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. And your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you on all sides. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. So remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. And the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. And then you will be called the rebuilder of walls, the restorer of homes in which to dwell. As I said, God is responding to his people and to their complaint that he is silent, that he doesn't seem to acknowledge their acts of worship, which he sees as vain religiosity, going through the motions, yet having their hearts far removed from his heart, and to the atrocities that surround them that they seem to be blind to, that they seem to be ignoring. And so God is, in essence, saying You know, if you want to encounter me, then feed the hungry. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the load of those who work for you. Shelter the homeless. Provide clothing for those who need it. And don't hide yourself from those who are seeking your assistance. If you do these things, then you will see me. And then you will hear from me. Well, I want to transition from the problem to talking about the solution and talking about not only what IJM is doing, but what we as the people of God can do. We, we've, we've kind of seen an overwhelming glimpse at the problem. We want to look at the solution, and then at the end we want to uh, end with a call to action, some applications, some steps that we can take. As you saw in the video, IJM is the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. And their vision is quite simple. It's to rescue millions, to protect half a billion, and to make justice for the poor unstoppable. To date, IJM has rescued over 
45,000 people from oppression. They work where weak justice systems are unable to protect the oppressed from violence. And currently, IJM is helping more than 150 million from violence in 17 different communities around the world. Just since 2012, so just in the last six years, IJM has trained more than 55,000 justice system officials to both recognize and respond to violence and needs. And IJM has secured more than 1,400 convictions against slave owners and rapists and other criminals. So a lot has happened in just the last six years as the people of God have partnered together with IJM and other organizations like IJM to stop injustice and to stop slavery in the world today. Earlier I shared with you the story of Cassie, this young girl who lived in the Philippines and moved to Manila, and fortunately her story has a happy ending. One night Cassie woke up to loud voices and the police inside the three-story building where she had suffered for nearly five years. She remembers, I was crying and very scared. With the police was an IJM social worker named Karen, who explained to Cassie and to the younger children that they weren't in trouble, but that they, in fact, were being rescued. IJM rescued me and transferred me to my second home, Cassie shares with a smile, eager to talk about the beautiful aftercare shelter where she now lives. God has given me new hope. Because I know that he's my father, who is always there for me. And my family, my sisters in this new second home. The owner of this shelter and his co-workers are always there for us, just to support us. They are all my strength. So we see just one story among 45,000 who have been rescued and been freed from unbearable situations. And for this young girl... Uh, Philippine girl in the Philippines, Cassie, five years of being exploited and used and separated from her family and living in fear. And then IJM had a part of releasing her and giving her a new life. Carol's going to come now and talk about some practical and helpful things that are going on here locally. So the last thing that I mentioned before I sat down was just a struggle that some of us may have, um, one of those things being pornography. I think one of the greatest blessings of being a part of the family of God is that we are not alone. And we as a church have to really start talking about things, real life, things like pornography, like sexual addiction. And if this is your struggle, just want to encourage you to please talk to someone we're here to help, not condemn. We have to start being able to talk about these things. also want to encourage you, and now I'm looking in the audience, and I don't know how many people have young kids, but if you do have children, um, unfortunately, the reality is not if children are going to be exposed to pornography now, it's when. And that's just a harsh reality. The average age of exposure right now is 8 to 10 years old. Please know what your children are doing online. There are apps on their phones 
that hide absolutely everything. It may look like just a regular app, and it's hiding all kinds of things or makes things disappear. Know what your kids are looking at. We have a couple books that we brought, and I forgot to bring them in this service, but they are, it's called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, and they're age-appropriate for smaller kids, and then there's another one for older kids. So if you have kids or even grandkids that you're concerned about, take a picture of the the front cover when you walk out today and um, purchase that book. Give it to your kids or to your adult children to share with their grandkids. I know when I first heard all of this information, I was super overwhelmed, super sad, and I just didn't know what to do. But then I heard about organizations who are fighting the battle and that there were things that I could actually be a part of doing. So then I was hopeful. So I'm hoping to share some of those hopeful things with you today as well. Forever Found is one of the local organizations that is a not Christian nonprofit that is fighting this battle locally. And some of the things that they are doing are they offer a mentor program. And what this is is a twice-a-month commitment where you are paired with another adult, and they offer amazing training. And you come alongside a youth who has been exploited. And there are many of us um, here in the church that have become a part of that, and I have to tell you, it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it's also one of the greatest blessings in my life. One of the things that Forever Found offers is something called equine therapy. They also offer music therapy and then also Bible studies, which um, Brittany and Maggie are a part of doing. One of the greatest opportunities I had was to take one of the girls that I mentored to the equine therapy, and the lady who was uh, teaching it had the girl putting the horse away, and she wasn't really doing everything she needed to do to keep herself or the horse safe, and she was able to bring in the story of Jesus being the gatekeeper and how he is the gate for us and how he keeps her safe, just like the woman was teaching this young girl how to keep the horse safe. But the most important thing is her safety and that she's valued and she is loved. And it was just a beautiful picture that I was able to be a part of in watching this young girl learn that and hear more about that. You can also become a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate. And that is just someone who is going to come alongside a foster child and kind of be their voice and be the advocate for them, go to court for them, speak on their behalf. So many of these children just don't have anyone there for them. So that is something that you can become involved in or be a big sister or a little sister. Um, It really just takes one warm, caring adult to make a difference in the life of a child. Um, Another thing that you can do is that Char... Uh, who is part of our body, has a couple ministries where she goes to massage parlors and um, strip clubs in the area once a month to show the girls that they are loved, they're valued, and that they're seen, that they're not invisible. And some of the things that she does is gift bags for them 
um, that you can be a part of as a small group or even just personally if you wanted to do that. There's going to be information on the back table. She gives homemade cookies to the bouncers before she walks in with her group of people that are going to minister to the girls. So if you like to bake, you can reach out to Char and you can find out how you could be a part of that. She also needs drivers, sometimes a male who um, feels like that's something that they could do and sit outside and pray for them as they go in. So there's lots of ways that you can be involved. My prayer for each one of us today as we seek and find freedom in Christ, is that we act today to help those who are trapped in slavery, both locally and globally. I know this information can be really hard to process, and it can be overwhelming, but we as a church, we have the privilege of serving a living God who sets prisoners free. Please um, come and see Shar and I. We will be at the back table after the service if you want more information about how you can be involved with IJM and also locally. Thanks. Well, Scripture is very clear about our part in the solution. Passages like Micah 6.8 come to mind where the prophet writes, He has told you, O man, O woman, what is good, and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 117, one of the scriptures that was spoken in the video, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, and fight for the rights of widows. As you read the New Testament, you discover that Jesus, when he began his public ministry, uh, quoted words from the prophet Isaiah chapter 61. The story is recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And uh, he went into the synagogue one day and he took the scroll that was handed to him and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And Luke says that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And then he announced that today, in your presence, this very scripture has been fulfilled. It's interesting, as I was reading this passage in Isaiah 61 and comparing it with Isaiah 58, just three chapters earlier, both of these passages have a recurring theme or verse at the end of this mission statement that Jesus took on for himself. And both say something to the effect that they, meaning the people of Israel or us by extension, will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, reversing the desolation of many generations. And I thought, you know, that's really what we have the opportunity to be a part of. How do we build healthy communities, communities that are strong? And I believe it is by alleviating injustice and trying to reverse the effects of sin. 
The age-old debate that goes on in the church and in Christianity in general is, is it the gospel or is it social justice? And there are examples of churches that preach nothing but the gospel and, and are involved in very little social justice. And there are churches on the other end that are very active in the community and the world with social justice issues, but you won't hear anything of the gospel. And as we've contended over and over again, it's not an either-or. It's a both-and. If we are talking about the salvation and the freedom and the new life that's available through Jesus in God, and yet we're ignoring the needs around us, I believe we become like the noisy gong and clanging symbol of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are just noise to the world because we're talking about these wonderful things that they can't even appreciate and experience because of the burdens of their life. And on the other hand, if we're really involved in meeting physical needs and yet ignoring the greatest need that people have, which is to be reconciled with their Creator through Jesus and the salvation that He offers, again, we're short-sighted. We're dropping the ball. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. And it seems that Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 61 are saying that as we are involved in alleviating injustice and fighting for the disadvantaged and the, the marginalized and the manipulated, that that is how God uses us to rebuild healthy and strong communities. Advocating for justice is not a way, it's the way that God uses us to reverse sin and destruction. Well, I want to uh, make another shift to a point of application, to really our call to action, what are we to do? And I know it's easy for us to ask, you know, what can we do to make a difference? When you consider that there's 40 million people in slavery today, it's like the old story of throwing starfish back into the sea, you know. It seems enormous. It seems overwhelming. As we look at the complex solutions that IJM has come up with, how do we respond? How do we partner? How do we get involved? And as I was wrestling with this this week, I thought, you know, our predicament is not too much unlike the predicament that the disciples found themselves in, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. As you may recall, Jesus had gone to a remote location to preach and to teach, and all of the people from the surrounding cities had flocked to hear him speak because they loved his storytelling and they loved his presence and his heart. And it was getting late in the day and they were hungry and there was no food. And so the voices of reason, the, the apostles spoke up and tried to inform Jesus of a situation they thought he was ignorant of. They said, Jesus, stop teaching and send the people home so they can eat and so they can find food. And do you remember how Jesus responded to that? He said, you, you feed them. You give them something to eat. But this didn't make any sense to the disciples. In their, from their perspective and in their own words, the Gospels say that they said, you know, it would take more than half a year's salary to feed these people. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, probably twenty to 30,000 people. And, you know, we just don't have that kind of money on us. And even if we did, they're basically saying, you know, the nearest Costco is 100 miles away. You know, how are we going to deal with this? And Jesus really responds 
with two questions for them that I believe are very relevant and pertinent for us today. And the first question that he asks them is, well, what do you have? What do you have? And as they look around, they find a little boy with a sack lunch, and he has five barley loaves and two fish, barely enough to satisfy himself with a good meal, not to mention the five to 30,000 people that are attending the teaching. And then the second question that Jesus asks is, will you give it to me? And I think those two questions are what hits home for us today. What do we have, and are we willing to give it to Jesus? Are we willing to pay and and take that small step of obedience, trusting that Jesus will perform the miracle? The disciples didn't have the resources, the money, the food to feed a crowd of that size. It seemed like an impossible task that Jesus was setting before them. And when we look at the enormity of this need this morning, uh, on on a global level, it's easy to just check out and say, it's too big. You know, what can I do? But I believe the answer is to take whatever small step of obedience that the Spirit leads us to take and to trust God for the rest, to trust God to do the miracle. This morning we have the opportunity to become Freedom Partners, to partner with IJM. Um, there's a little brochure in your bulletin, there's envelopes in the lobby, and for just $24 a month, a recurring gift of that, we can become freedom partners in ending slavery and human trafficking and these atrocities around the world. Um, Additionally, freedom partners are contacted on a regular basis by IJM to be made aware of urgent needs in the field, to help advocate for life-saving legislation, as well as special IJM events that that we can be a part of. And so with a small gift, we can actually do something that has the ability to save lives and that can provide the resources that IJM needs so that when a need arises, they can act on it because the money, the, the resources are there. As I was reflecting on this this week, I thought of Psalm 10, where the psalmist says in Psalm 10, verse 17 and 18, Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice to the orphans and the oppressed, so mere people can no longer terrify them. We have the opportunity to be part of the fulfillment of that verse and other verses like it as we join God in this work. Proverbs 14.31 reminds us that those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. I know we've thrown a lot at you today, and it's not often that we kind of get this real with some glaring, ugly, overwhelming things that are going on in the world, but I think it's appropriate. And we've made a commitment to partner with IJM every year to lift this up and to focus on a different area of the world and what we can do. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we close. And I think an appropriate response to this is involves maybe a little bit more liturgy than we are normally a part of. But I want to suggest a responsive prayer. And the words of this prayer are taken from Psalm 35 and from the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And so I'm going to lead you in this and ask that you would uh, join in with me as we lift this prayer up together. Let's pray. 
With every bone in my body, I will praise you, Lord. Who can compare with you? Who else rescues the helpless from the strong? Who else protects the helpless and poor from those who rob them? Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Father God, we as your people, as your representatives, as your advocates, as your intercessors, as your ambassadors, we want to join you in your heart against injustice. We don't want to be those whose religion is merely uh, verbal, a profession of words not accompanied by action. We want to be Christians who live out our faith in both word and deed. And Lord God, we ask that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to know what the next steps are, to know what each one of us is called to do, not just as a body, but individually, how you might be leading us and how you might want us to respond, some practical steps that we can take. God, may we not throw our hands up, may we not just be, become overwhelmed and paralyzed by the need, but may we thoughtfully and reflectively consider what it is that we can do, what small part we have to play in this, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would make that possible. So thank you for the privilege of partnering with you, for the privilege of being your representatives. Use us mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.